the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Everybody and a very festive, wintry, midwinter welcome to you for this hour. It's not a Christmas edition, but it's the closest thing you're going to get. Yeah. All right. And it joined by me, Rachel Gardner, and my favourite elf, Martin Saunders. <laughs> now, listen, Martin, normally when we get close to the Christmas thing, I normally bought you an eggnog yeah, latte and we happened. make a big thing about it. Partly because everybody knows we're recording this, like not at Christmas. And it is Oh, so hot today. We've got a really yeah. hot autumnal day. Would you be drinking eggnog even on a hot autumnal winter day? What, if you are listening to this between the months of October and it's, January, I know, it's I'm drinking eggnog. List, isn't it? I'm drinking eggnog. Okay. Wherever I am. It's just phlegm, basically, isn't it? It's lovely. So it's it's delicious. Don't knock it. Have you ever tried it? Nope. Don't plan to. Don't want to. You can't make me. It's not very mature, is it? No, it's not very mature, and you can't make me. But um, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Rachel. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about hope in a bit. Lovely. We're not going to start there, but we're going to oh. <laughs> we'll get to hope. But but I was wondering what you were hoping for for Christmas this year. My kids ask me that all the time, and I know not to answer with any serious answer because they they'd never do it. Oh, they what never, would you like? They though, never get me. What would uh, you like? I like clothes vouchers, um, face mask, a lion in the morning. I don't know. I don't mind. I don't mind, actually. I Okay, this is going to sound super worthy. I really enjoy getting presents to people and I really enjoy watching their faces Aww. open them, which doesn't mean I don't like receiving. I love it, people. Send gifts. I love receiving, but genuinely on Christmas Day, I really like the folks that I'm with, that, that I've got it right. That yeah. is a, so I, so my my gift would be that when they open the presents to me, they go, yay, I love that. Oh, That's my That was my thing with Lego, because I was one of those dads that like buys Lego for kids and then, and and then joins in yeah. and really it's for me. And we when we moved house recently, we realised just how much Lego we had. And so we've got a total ban on Lego this oh. year. There is no Lego coming into the house. But what are you going to do at Christmas time then? Yeah, That's I know. Like- I know. A whole new well, world. Well, rebuild old sets, but everyone knows that's boring. But but do your younger two know what your older two would have got? Because you like recycle it. Would they know? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah right. sadly. Mm. But yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I've got a sort of slightly idiosyncratic Christmas wish list, actually. Ooh, yeah, on yeah. Amazon? I do, I, well, I create it on Amazon, but I not necessarily buy it there. Okay. But I do just through the year now. Because I always used to be terrible. Yes. People go, what do you want? And I'd be like, I don't want anything. Yes. So now I just make... Things that I think, oh, it'd be nice to have a weighted blanket, wouldn't it? Something like that. It'd be nice to have a weighted but blanket. But people have to work out your size and your yeah. weight. I mean, they've got to do a lot of emotional labour yeah, yeah. to get you your weighted blanket. I'm just you putting know what it out I'd there. really love? Yeah. Like, I would really love. Have you seen the TV show Ted Lasso? Yes. I would love a Ted Lasso like football shirt. Right, I'm just making a note of that. That's what I'd love. Write that down. That's not on my list because I couldn't find it. But I, I love Ted Lasso. I, I love the idea because I live quite near Richmond, mm-hmm. which is where the team. And so I could then go and walk around Richmond in it, which probably isn't actually as cool as I'm thinking it is. But but it would make me happy. I could take a selfie in front of the, oh, the pub. That is lovely. I've had a few years where my lovely other half has been profoundly disappointed by what I've got. Oh, no. We, fairly early on in our married life, money was very, very tight. And he's... We'd Sorry, sort of hang on, sat- hang on. Can we, David, can we get the violin music? Yeah, the little mini violin. 
So fairly early on in our marriage life. So, um, and we were like, we've got a really budget, we've got a really budget, um, which is very important to budget. I shouldn't make that sound like it isn't. It is very important to budget. So I, I decided that I would buy lots of wool from a secondhand shop and I knitted him a scarf. Now, the thing oh. is, he is a major Doctor Who fan. And I was right. like, this is awesome. And every, I was working in Did Central London. Did you get Tom London. Baker multicolored yeah, I was knitting it on the tube, led many people to Christ as I was knitting and chatting. <laughs> not really. He was so, like, he's, he could not contain the disappointment on his but face. The disappointment? Oh, I said, because that was it. That was the present. That was oh. it. And I was like... Uh, it's a budget and it's a scarf. What is there not to love, oh, my beloved? Yeah. So I, in the back of my mind, I do have this little thing that I don't get presents right. Mm, well, it lingers with me. We, well, I've been quite laid bare in this season of the podcast. I'm quite yes. pleased that you Someone finally else. started to become a bit vulnerable. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that, but I bet your presents are great. Mm, not sure. I'm not sure. You I'm got not me an eggnog. Good. Oh no, you didn't. I didn't get you an eggnog. No, you didn't. I think about great presents and don't. And then I tell people, oh, I would have got you this. Yeah. And then I get the kind <laughs> of very good the at dopamine that. hit of them oh. going, oh, and I'm like, great, sorted. My I remember been when I wrote the forward for your book about four years ago, you said. <gasps> You said, oh, do you know what? I'd love to get you. Oh, I'd my. love to get you a box of craft beer yes, to, to, to thank you. And and I think in your head, telling me that was the gift. I think it was. <laughs> telling me that you'd thought of it was the gift. And, and in many ways, it, it was. It, it absolutely was. So uh, fair enough. Right. Okay. So. We are going to, we are, this season has been, as they say on another podcast, there's been an awful lot of Shawshank before you get to the redemption. So we've had quite a lot of difficult uh, topics and we're just going to check in one more time on one of the things we talked about. So it's been a brilliant season. Uh, we've looked at navigating the future with young people and ourselves. We've looked at kind of the climate crisis. We've looked at war and famine and devastation. We've looked at AI. We've looked at like all these uncertain things. And we then we checked in for two weeks on the sole survivor situation. Yeah. And uh, if you if you remember, if you listened to it, it was very serious. Mm -hmm. We did two completely joke-free episodes. Yeah. Um, but we've yeah. we've we're not doing that today. No. But what we, we didn't actually get to when we had that conversation was um, the so what's next? Yeah. You know, how does this now impact not just youth festival? We talked a bit about that. Yeah. But how does it impact youth ministry? Because uh, let me just set this up for you, Rachel, and then I'm going to let you go. Oh my goodness. So so. Soul Survivor wasn't just dominant in terms of summer festivals. It also dominated evangelical, charismatic churches, youth ministry yeah, it did. for three decades. It did. And it set the sort of format, the blueprint for how we do it. So it, a lot of people, the goal was not just to build your year around Soul Survivor as the kind of pinnacle of your calendar, but also to try and do the things to back home yeah. that you did at Soul Survivor, which is not a bad principle. But it was very much, it had such an impact on the way that we tried to do ministry and the way that we tried to do youth groups. Mm -hmm. So now that we have had the rug pulled in this kind of spectacular way, what what does it look like to rebuild? I yes. just said, what does it look like? Oh, like that's the first one of the season. A pound in the pot. What does it mean to rebuild yeah. You know, youth ministry from scratch, and say, okay, not throwing out the baby with the bath with the bathwater, but um, how now do we rebuild something different? Yeah, brilliant. I, I mean, I am 
absolutely in the trenches in the mud with you and everybody else trying to work this out and it is very important that we acknowledge i totally agree that we acknowledge just the sheer weight of of our our prophetic our youth ministry imaginations were dominated by one model um but i don't think it's a bad thing to have models that we look at and and say oh i think that that there's something there so i don't think it's a blank sheet of paper i think we might need to look into some more of our more distant ancient past Mm. um and twin it with some of the you know the witch talk stuff like what what are we learning about emerging spirituality for for this generation because i do think there's something in kind of monastic traditions sort of how the celts came to evangelize the british isles i think there's some learning there that is quite resonant with with what we're in the world that we're in today yeah and i do think it's going to look a lot more very very local Mm. i think we both we say that young people are part of the largest demographic in the entire known planet and that is youth culture there's never been such a large demographic globally ever and yet they operate very locally in a very small kind of little location and actually are much more tied in with the relationships cross-generational relationships and often we think they are we think they're just wedded to youth culture mm. so i think there's going to be a little bit of a mashup and a mix-up and we're going to be finding little models that work in our unique little areas and we'll be sharing that with other people and other places. And I think denominational tribalism is on on the way out. So I think we're going to see other ways that youth ministry will connect with each other that's not denominational, but is around church planting or around estates ministry or around other sort of context groups. So I don't know is the answer, but I'm quite excited that there's lots of practitioners on the ground that are willing to look for new things with young people and let them lead it. Let them let them lead in this space. Let me drop a new word into the youth ministry vocabulary because I think the age of innovation might just be behind us now, uh, although it means much the same thing. Um, I was at, uh, we have a weekly chapel service here at uh, Youthscape Towers. And yesterday morning, a friend of the show, Charles Merritt, uh, led, led the team in a sort of reflection. And it was a very classic example of someone bringing their full self and, and bringing their life as a as a lens for helping to think about youth ministry. And so a big part of Charles's life is he does improv comedy. And so he talked about youth ministry through the filter of improvisation, improv. And I think improvisation is a really interesting Ooh, concept yes. for us to play with in the yes. new season yeah. of, and we might even do a whole episode of on it because I think, and it, and there's, there's dramatic improv and there's also jazz improv as well, isn't there? And I think they're both quite interesting lenses through which to look what's, at youth what's ministry. What's this called? That's R2D2. No, but when you're in jazz, what what is that called when you... When you make that, I, I genuinely know idea what you're doing. There is a genuine thing. What is it? Dave, Dave is like mouthing. Do you mean like lift music? Dave's mouthing. No, Dave has no idea what you're doing. Oh, okay, either. it's it's like the sound when you do jazz. It's kind of like that that sound. Anyway, okay, this is gold. Keep going. Yeah, no, don't cut Brilliant. this out. Dave. Improvisation. But I think I think this idea of so one of the key things about improv, improv is it's not you can't do it on your own. You do it as part of a group. You do it as a as part of an, a, a dramatic improv group, or you do it as part of a jazz band. You do it as part of a jazz group. And it's about taking other people's ideas, saying yes to them, and then building something on that. And I think that's different to this. The, the, the age of innovation that we've had has been about pioneer leaders having the grand vision and following it. That's what we saw at Soul Survivor, and it was wonderful for a time. Um, and you know, I think that's what, to some extent, we've done at Youthscape. But, but I'm just interested in this concept of like, collaborative innovation, Ooh, collaborative improvisation. improvisation. 
And I wonder whether that's part of the answer. Well, there's a deep theological discipline around that. Is it N.T. Wright who talks about the four acts? So, yeah. And, and we are in the, you know, the post-Christ resurrection. We are improvising yeah. based on what's gone before. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's awesome. I think there's a book there. Yeah. But I think that's brilliant. I'm not Absolutely write wonderful. It. Absolutely wonderful. But I think this piece of music could be the Christmas number one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, brilliant. And uh, we are, look at us dropping our theological language. It's almost as if we have a theologian joining us on the episode oh, we want looking to forward to this so she's much fabulous. she's not impressed she doesn't she's she's like i love you guys i don't need to be impressed by you we so we've you. had a lot of we've had a lot of down yes but now yes. it's the big up yes big up dr paula gooder <laughs> so yeah so this is uh this is an opportunity to think about uh hope and to think about heaven yeah, and to think on. about um, the bright future that we can look forward to in Jesus, mm. which, you know, we haven't had enough of on this season of the podcast. Uh, so here's what happened when I caught up with Dr. Paula Gooder. So uh, I'm delighted to be joined for this final episode of the season by Canon Doctor Paula Gooder, friend of the show, and also likes to be known just as Paula. So I've done the formal introduction, but now you're just Paula. <laughs> Is that right? Lovely to be with you, Martin. And um, since we last spoke to you, um, your job has changed and you're now uh, working at St. Paul's Cathedral. Can you tell us a little bit about what your, your role is there? Yeah, I've got a very fancy sounding job. It's Canon Chancellor. Um, but it's not probably quite as fancy as it sounds. So um, my other half of the title is Canon Chancellor and Director of Learning. So um, that's the bit that tells you okay. really what I do. So I look after our schools and family learning team who are absolutely fabulous and welcome about 30,000 school children through the cathedral every year. Um, I also look after our adult learning and we have um, lots of lectures and seminars and written reflections and podcasts and all those kind of things. And um, we engage with about 1.3 million people every year wow. through doing that. So wow. it's it's an amazing and fun, fun job. That's great. And so um, why we've got you on the podcast is to bring a bit of hope because we have had We've had quite a relentless season of uh, <laughs> nine weeks of, <laughs> of, of misery and sadness and difficulty and uncertainty. Um, and uh, another podcast that I love listening to um, uses the phrase often, there's a lot of Shawshank before you get to the redemption. But today we're going to get to the redemption. But just before we do that, it's probably worth acknowledging uh, it, it is, this is a very uncertain time and this has been a particularly difficult year. It really has, hasn't it? And, um, and I think it's been true for everyone in different ways, whether it's on um, the international stage or the national stage, or actually in people's personal lives. Um, the number of people I've spoken to whose personal lives reflect the awfulness that's going on um, both nationally and internationally. So, and, and as we're about to start talking about hope, I think the really important thing is to recognise that hope always springs in 
the midst of the awfulness. Mm. And the first thing you have to do is to acknowledge the awfulness before you know, we have that kind of internal human desire to go, oh, can we get on to the happy ending now? Um, and one of the things I think is really important is for us to say um, we can only express the happy ending, whatever the happy ending looks like, um, th- in the midst of the awfulness and to recognize really quite how awful it, it is for a lot of people at the moment. Yeah, I have. I heard someone say the other day, you know, light shines most brightly in the dark. So what, you know, I don't know whether that's helpful or not, but what, what, why is that important? Why is it important that we embrace things like lament and, and, and actually sitting with the pain that people are feeling? Well, partially because it's true and it's it's not about kind of um it's not kind of one of those kind of misery guts things where you know everyone's having a really nice time and someone comes in and goes yeah but it's all awful really um that's not what we're talking about but it it's simply about recognizing that life is really hard and it's hard for lots of people in all sorts of ways so part of it is simply recognizing the truth of existence that life is and always has been profoundly difficult. And some of that is is just simply recognizing that, acknowledging it. And if we're honest, um, there are some um, Christian circles, many Christian circles, in which we're really bad at Mm. acknowledging the lament. Um, We want to sing happy songs. We want to talk about God's love and the joy in the world. And and all of that is good and important. But if we ignore the truth of the darkness and the difficult times, then actually we end up um, really struggling, I think. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing um, is to acknowledge Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a simple fact of life. Life. If you light a candle, um, in full streaming daylight, um, you don't really see much of it. If you light a candle in the midst of the darkness, then it isn't, I'm sure scientifically, objectively, it is not brighter, but it looks brighter. And I think there is something about that recognition, um, that, um, light, you know, and, um, we're coming up to Christmas. And you've got the beautiful reading from John's Gospel, John 1, um, which kind of lives in my soul, really. You know, the light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. And um, for me, that's one of the kind of the mantras that keeps us going. Light shines in the darkness. It's the essence of who God is mm-hmm. to shine where darkness is. I love what you've done there is you've, you've turned this into the Christmas special. Um, inadvertently, which is great. And and you've done enough to justify this being a Christmas episode. If Die Hard is a Christmas movie, then what you've just done makes this the Christmas special. Um, so so on a fundamental level then, what, on a fundamental level then, what, why does uh, Christian faith still speak hope into the lives of, of young people, but even in the midst of, of what we're going through? Because it is about hope. Is my short answer. Um, if you wanted to get me to, um, to characterize the very kind of the heart of the Christian message, you know, what is the good news? For me, the good news is that, um, light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. Um, where there is death, there is always resurrection, life and hope. God is the God who created um, the world out of chaos and creates order and light. Um, there is light. There is hope. There is new life. There is resurrection. And that is what, for me, is what makes Christian faith 
good news. You know, the word gospel means good news. So one of the things we often forget is, um, you know, I hear people proclaiming the gospel and at the end I want to go, I haven't heard any good news. All I've heard is misery. <laughs> um, and at the heart for me, it's the, what, what is it that makes the good news good? And um, good news is good no matter what age you are. Yeah. So what does that, what does that look like in practice? So how do we, how do we live out? How do we practice you know, being a people of hope when things are so difficult around us. It's it's it is hard, isn't it? Because and that's where you know we've already alluded to the problem that we often have in the Christian faith is that we we talk too much about hope in the way that trivialises the difficulties. So you've got this impossible balancing act between um, not being so irritatingly cheerful all the time that you don't acknowledge that times are difficult, but not so overwhelmingly gloomy all the time that you forget that the good news is actually good news and treading that middle path. And the middle path is recognizing that um, we do live in a world of darkness and misery and fear and anxiety and despair and death. Um, but in the middle of all of that um, is the message of God, um, and the message of God is of love and of light and of new life. Mm. And putting those two together is, I think, kind of the key thing about how we do it. But how you do it practically is is the kind of the, the tough thing. Because, again, you know, cliches, I think, are horrible, and everyone hates a cliche. But you know that every cloud has a silver lining. You know, um, God doesn't give you more than you can cope with. Um, this, is, this is good for you in some kind of way. You know, when I've been going through the worst times in my life and someone's come up and says, you know, God never gives you more than you can bear, I've really wanted to slap the person <laughs> <laughs> because it is the most unhelpful, uncaring, unchristian response so um, how do you do it? Um, and I have a little mantra for when I um, get into the depths of despair, which I do from time to time, um, which goes, no matter what the world looks like, God is still God. Jesus is still risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit is still poured out on the world. And I know it sounds a bit clunky and comprehensive, uh, kind of so it's not it's not the easiest mantra, but it is for me um, the re really important one. And I just say it to myself: God is still God. Jesus is still risen. The Holy Spirit is still with us. Mm. Um, and what the reason I do that is because there is something about objective truth there. Mm. As a Christian, I believe that to be deeply and fundamentally true. So no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what it looks like, um, those three things are true. Mm. God is God. Jesus is risen. The Holy Spirit is with us. Um, and therefore, I remind myself, because often what I, I'm somebody who is very driven by my emotions. And so when my emotions say that the world is awful and miserable and terrible, mm. that feels as though that's the only truth there is. Mm. And so I get my brain to repeat over and over again, God is God. Jesus is risen. The Holy Spirit is with us. Um, and and I say to myself, you don't have to feel it yet. Mm. Um, you just have to know it's true. And eventually um, you'll feel it again. And I can honestly tell you that every time that has happened. And by, by again, I don't mean tomorrow. Sometimes it's six months. Sometimes mm. it's longer than six months. But just holding on 
um, and knowing that that's true. That's really that's really helpful and very practical. Um, now, now some of the way that we understand Christian hope is for the now, and uh, you know, you talked about the Holy Spirit being with us and the fact that we're we're not alone in our everyday lives now. But another really significant and important part of Christian hope is is the future, is eternity. Um, you have uh, written a, a great book on the subject of heaven. It's probably a decade ago now. Um, so c- I, you must be the expert I can ask. You know what? What is? <laughs> let's talk about eternal life. What yes. What is heaven? Well, do you know, I always dread it when people say that to me because um, I'm going to tell you something um, that you're probably not going to want me to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, which is that in the Bible. Heaven is, of course, vitally important and it runs all the way through. But um, heaven isn't what you think it is. So what we have done um, through Christian history is um, we have privatized heaven. So we've made it about me, what will happen to me after I die. And we've postponed heaven. We've made it about the future, um, far into the future. And actually, in the Bible, heaven is not about me and what will happen when I die. Heaven is about God, where God dwells now. So it's um it's a very different idea. So when we talk about heaven, we normally mean what will happen to me after I die. Hmm. So the first thing I always say to people when they ask me about heaven is um, a reminder that actually heaven in the Bible is a place. It's the place where God is. Mm. And then we have to get into all sorts of really complicated conversations about how they understand the world and how we now understand the world, because the short version is um, for all the biblical writers, um, they thought that if you went directly upwards from earth and carried on for as long as you could, you would get to heaven. It is up. Um, And although we now no longer know that to be true, um, because, you know, we've all been in an aeroplane, we've been up, we didn't crash into God's throne. (laughs) Um, We still kind of have it internally. You know, um, people can't see because um, we're um, audio, but um, I'm pointing upwards when I'm talking about heaven um, because that's our internally where we think it is. So we've got to get a get round all of that stuff. Um, and it's, I think it's relatively straightforward to do that. Um, because actually what they're talking about is a place, a dimension that is real that you cannot see. Um, but in which God dwells mm. and God dwells now. And the reason why that is really important for hope is that we look around the world and it feels as though, um, God is absent. God's not here. Um, God has created the world and then toddled off to do something else um, and is no longer with us. The biblical theology of heaven is that God exists as close to earth as absolutely physically possible and um, is there with humanity um, in the world that God made. So there's something I think really important about Mm. recognizing that heaven is about now and it's about where God is, Mm. which therefore means God has not left us. Um, It might feel that God has left us, but God has not left us. So that's the first kind of bit about the hope. And for me, that's one of the most overwhelmingly hopeful things is that even when it looks like God is not here, we know that God is here and that is crucially important. Mm. And then 
the real question that you were asking me is what happens after we die and well, why does that give us hope? Well, yes, because, <laughs> because of course, that would have been, uh, you know, a major focal point for youth evangelism. Mm. I and mean, we'd have talk, talked about that all the time in, in ages gone past. We talk about it less now, actually. But um, yes, I'm, I'm now very excited to know what you're going to say about this. <laughs> so it's really important. Um, and that doesn't mean that... Um, the biblical writers don't believe in life after death. They absolutely do. Um, but it looks slightly different. And uh, the really important thing to recognize um, is this is for the New Testament writers. Um, the Old Testament writers are different and we'd have to talk about them on another day. But for most of the, well, all of the New Testament writers, they believed in resurrection of the body. So they believed that there would come a time in the future when the dead would rise. And the really important thing is that they would rise bodily. So we would live eternally in our bodies. And one of the really important things is we've kind of just kind of factored it out in Christian theology and imagined that actually what happens after we die is we go to heaven spiritually um, and therefore we no longer need our bodies. The biblical writers thought that there would come a time in the future when the dead would rise physically in their bodies and would live um, an embodied life eternally. Mm. And you know that even though you might not know that you know that, because, for example, Jesus says in the Gospels, heaven and earth will pass away. And um, one of those things that, you know, we just kind of factor that out and focus on um, what he says next, which is heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Um, and the really important thing is we focus on that. But actually, if you think you're going to live in heaven eternally, and then Jesus says heaven will pass away, you're kind of a bit stuffed because <laughs> heaven is no longer there. And what we, what he, what Jesus is talking about is that this heaven and this earth will pass away, but there will come a time in the future when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Mm -hmm. Think revelation. Yeah. Um, and the new heaven and the new earth is where what will last eternally. And in the new heaven and the new earth, we will live bodily. Um, our resurrection bodies will be risen from the dead and we will live bodily forever. Um, with um, And there'll be no um, separation between heaven and earth in the new heaven and earth. So there's lovely bits in Revelation that talks about um, there not needing to be a sun anymore because the light comes directly from God in heaven. So there's no, um, there's no separation anymore. Um, and that begins to give you the sense of what the biblical writers thought about. And at the risk of getting really complicated, but you did ask, yeah. um, the thing that gives us hope is that Jesus was risen from the dead. And the reason why the resurrection is so vitally important in Christian theology is that if you're going to say to people, the hope that you have is that you're going to rise from the dead, your instinct is to go, yeah, but what will that look like? The answer is there's someone who's done it already. Jesus has already risen from the dead. And therefore, we can begin to understand what resurrection existence is going to be like because Jesus did it already. There's loads more to say, but that's oh, it in that's a nutshell. Brilliant. That's really, really helpful. And it just strikes me as you're talking that we don't talk about this very often. And I and no. I wonder whether we mm -hmm. should. I mean, do you think do you think we've lost a bit of this? You know, do you think we should be talking more about because I think there's there's such a reaction against, you know, not wanting to give a gospel that's pie in the sky when you die the um the, the sort of you swing the other way and we just we don't talk about it we just talk about activism yeah. in the here and now do you think we need to get a bit more of a grip of eternal life 
Absolutely. Totally, I do. Um, and one of, one of the reasons why is that because actually the biblical ideas about what happens to us after we die are a little bit complicated. It takes you a while to get your head around. The problem is we don't talk about death at all. And then the one moment we do talk about it is when someone dear to you has just died. Mm. And when's the last time you ever are able to do any thinking? You know, if you, if you want to have a kind of a new idea, you don't want to do that when, you know, your mother's just died. Mm. That's just absolutely inappropriate. So the problem is, is we don't talk about it. And then the one time we do talk about it, we can't talk about it because it's pastorally insensitive. Um, And therefore, we never talk about it. And as you will gather, I think it's one of the most exciting pieces of Christian theology that we've got, because it affects everything. Um, If you believe that we're going to rise from the dead bodily, However, that's going to look like, and it's, that's worth a conversation in, in and of itself. What does it mean about the bodies we're going to have? Um, it actually means that you, what, what our lives now are, are, for want of a better term, a practice run. We're here to learn how to live eternally. Um, and if we learn how to live eternally well now, then that surely is a really good idea. So that means we have to pay attention to how we live in our bodies, what our bodies mean to us, um, why bodies are really important. It means we have to pay really close attention to the planet and the world that God created, because if God is going to um, a new heaven and a new earth, is going to be like the old, old heaven and the old earth, though significantly different. So actually, wouldn't it be good to learn how to live well in the planet if we're going to have to live in a planet eternally? So it requires us to think about bodies, about the environment, about living well. What does living well look like and feel like? Um, and all of that becomes, I mean, there's no nothing more important than that, both for now and for them. You've got me going. <laughs> I have. And I, and I um, you know, what I love about this is that you've done exactly what we asked, which is at the end of a, of a tough series and a tough year, um, you, you've given us the sort of warm cup of cocoa that we needed just to remind us to center us on on Christian hope. The worry for you, um, Paula, is that I actually have your phone number. So when I'm feeling sad now, <laughs> I'm just going to ring you and say, "Could you just go through that again?" Uh, yeah, but but with just, pleasure. As, as we as we sort of finish this, I guess I'd ask you to just wrap it up one more time. Um, you know, what you have the ear of the of the youth ministry community, or at least the ones that listen to this podcast, uh, as you say this. You know, what do we need to hold on to as we think about the future? As we work with young people in really challenging times, you know what what what's the most important stuff that you'd want us to leave, uh, to, to you'd want to leave us with as we think about the hope that we need to hold on to in the midst of it all. Well, I think I'd want to do two things. Um, oh, probably more than two. Let's let's start and see where we go to. Um, the first thing I think I want to say is the reason why I get so angry about um, stories of abuse in the church, um, the actuality of abuse in the church, is because it comes off the back of 2,000 years of Christian history that have said bodies are not that important. So if our bodies are not that important, what somebody does to somebody else's body isn't that big a deal. And you will gather from what I've said that actually I think bodies are the most important thing. God created each one of us and gave us the gift of a glorious body. 
And if we don't take that really seriously theologically, um, that is to miss the point of so many things. So for me, one of the things, the reason why I, I have a burning fury about abuse is because it's not taking care of the beautiful gift of bodies that God has given to people. Um, flowing out of that, if that's, if we think that is true theologically, then actually what we ought to be doing as Christians, and particularly with our young people who are finding it hard to understand what's going on in their bodies anyway, we should be having a really positive body theology that says, you are beautiful. There's, the, the, kind of, you have a, a society that has a very fixed and horrible view of beauty, in my view. Um, and as Christians, what we ought to be talking about are what we think beautiful bodies are. Mm. And beautiful bodies are bodies that are known to be loved and cherished by God who created them, mm. and therefore loved and cherished by the very person um, who who has the body, who is the body. Um, so there's something I think about the importance of body theology. And I would really want to say to um, youth ministers, please do talk about the importance of bodies. They're not an incidental thing that we're going to cast off at the end of all times and live happily spiritually. Bodies are so important. Mm. Um, and once you've set up that importance of your body theology, then you can begin to say that actually there is real hope for the future. Because if we are living well in our bodies, living for who God created us to be in an embodied way, taking taking care of creation as God always intended us to do. That's when we are being the people that God created us to be. And that's when we're living onwards into the hope of the new heaven and the new earth. So it's kind of everything really is what I want to say. I love um, it. What's important? It's all important because it's absolutely fundamental to us, to God, to what we believe as Christians. I love it. You, your your um, reminder there that we need to tell young people that they're beautiful. Uh, is a lovely way to end the season because um, this year the youth ministry community lost an absolute legend, uh, a man named Pip Wilson, who was um, one of the absolute sort of forefathers of, of Christian youth work in this country. And that was his mantra. And he said that to uh, young people. He was a beacon of hope. And it was very sad to lots of us when he when he passed away, sadly, um, just a little while ago. And uh, that's what he said to everybody for years and years and years. You are beautiful. It turns out, Paula, that that is an entirely theologically correct statement. Indeed it is. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us uh, and finishing off the podcast season. Thank you. We will speak to you again, I hope, Paula. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely. is singing i love stuff about heaven i just love just how she roots it so much in, in, in what god's doing now but also mm. about that glorious future i love all that i love that so we've come to the end of this amazing season we've covered loads of ground we're ending on a point of hope what when you look across the uk church and you yeah. think about youth ministry heading into the future what, what are your signs of hope i think there are loads of positive signs um and and you know, it, it, I could do, I could root lots of them in the world of events. So let's just take those for granted. There are yes. lots of exciting things coming out of youth events at the moment. Um, one of the things that we're doing as Youthscape is we are um, rolling out a program which is getting 
larger and larger uh, across Church of England churches called Launchpad. Uh, we talked about it a bit on the podcast before, um, but it's basically for churches that would love to do some work with young people, but just haven't managed to mm. do it yet. And so we actually take vicars, first of all, through a, a boot camp, really, over mm. a few weeks, uh, and then unleash them on their churches, basically get them to start something new. What's really exciting is we are seeing a massive success rate for that. Yeah, so uh, I think around about 70 to 80% of the churches that go through Launchpad, I've got a youth group a year later. That's really exciting and feels sustainable and it's small, but actually it's steady. And as it grows exponentially across the country, that could turn into thousands of new youth groups. Mm. That's quite exciting. I, don't, I can't think of an initiative that's talked in those terms mm. in the last 20 years. So that's that feels more hopeful than almost anything I've uh, I've talked about for a long time. Very exciting. I'm, I'm involved with Launchpad and totally agree. I think the unity thing for me is where I'm seeing huge hope. I mean, I mean, and scripture says that where, you know, where we pursue unity, God commands blessing. So I think that we're going to see the fruit of that, aren't we? Definitely. But um, just where I am up, up north, we, we gather, there's a few of us leaders across the region that got together and three times a year, we, we've been on the gathering, people come and pray for young people and for each other from across the churches. This is the second year in and we're still averaging about 70 volunteers, very few paid youth workers when in our area, right across traditions, coming to pray and worship and and seek unity. And what's coming out of it is little regional groups popping up. So in Lancaster, they put on a combined youth event, had over 100 young people. Now this, in our part of the world, those numbers don't happen. We don't see mm -hmm. that. And I just think there's an excitement of churches working together and and saying, I'm, I, we all have something to bring to this. Um, and we can learn from each other and young people can realise they're part of the body of Christ across an area, not just in their one church or denomination. Mm. So I think I'm seeing people genuinely pursuing unity now, not simply out of desperation, but out of a real motivation to see God's kingdom come mm. and to not work in isolation mm. anymore. I think that's brilliant. It blesses me hugely. I think that's so exciting. So that has been Into God Knows What. Um, so we're ready. We're and, ready. Uh, yeah, I think it's just worth pointing out because I don't think we've done it already in this entire season. There is, you know, if you're awake, you may have noticed there's a double meaning to that. So we weren't just being irreverent mm. um, by calling it uh, into God knows what. Like in a sense, that is a a, a, a slightly a faith statement. fearful statement, but it's also a faith mm. statement. It's mm. saying actually we do we do serve a God who knows who knows what's coming, yes. who, who can see who's outside of time, who, yes. who understands and sees the future, and and has made an absolute sure and certain promise of, of yes. the glorious victory and joy that yeah. is to come. And he will build his church. He will. And he will build his church. He will. Yeah. So we we end on that note yes. of, of promise. And we hope you've found this uh, uh, a helpful tool as you seek to navigate uh, a changing and uncertain world and think about uh, a very complex and uncertain future. Um, we'd love some feedback, if you wouldn't mind, yes. since we've given you, you know, 10 hours of our time. Uh, would you mind giving <laughs> aggressive. five minutes of yours? Um, so we'd love, first of all, for you to go on to your favorite podcast review site and give us an honest review. Say what you liked. Hmm. You know, maybe don't say what you didn't like, but do say what you like about the Youthgate podcast. Please give us a, a rating and a review. It really does help. Um, also contact us. You can email us podcast at youthscape.com 
youthscape.co.uk. Also, you can write a bunch of bananas at youthscape.co.uk. It will get, it will get through. To us it does. But, it's crazy. But why not use podcast? Yes. And tell us um, what uh, you liked about the season, what you didn't like, but also uh, we'd love some thoughts about what you'd love us to do next. Like we're, we're in this sort of different structure now thanks to the the hard work of producer dave yes uh we now have actual themed seasons that are going somewhere we do um and so we'd love your thoughts and ideas about what you'd love us to cover in future episodes rachel i'm gonna ask you as it's the last episode to to give us a little a little blessing Oof. as we end yes i do love a good may you so may you know that the God who calls you will equip you for everything that he asks of you. And may you know the deepest of joys that as you face the stuff that you might feel equipped or might feel superbly under-resourced for, that you will know that the, the glories and riches of heaven are laid out before you. And may you have deep Sabbath rest this Christmas. Amen. Amen. Okay, may you. That's fine. And uh, we hope that whatever happens this season, you have a wonderful Christmas. But we, oh no, no, <laughs> Cat, no, 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 no all of that. Do, okay, do something, something more fun first, yeah. Have you got something? Yeah, born ready. The little mini violin. Look what's what's this called? That's R2D2. It lingers with me.